welcome everyone to the 42nd episode of the new gen mindset podcast i'm dan Cozell here with nick tartaglia how are you nick i'm good man it's a good sunday it's nice out and uh i'm excited for the conversation we're gonna have today because uh it's uh it's an important topic and it's something we haven't really covered to date yet um we did cover it briefly I think mm-hmm. we talked about infrastructure as a, as a means of investment opportunities, but um, it's going to get really interesting here today because it's going to be Mary, a generalist approach as to what the future trends are, especially Which is in the very much aligned with our macro type of conversations. I, I, exactly. So when you bring somebody who is very passionate about that, I think it's going to add a nice little flavor to the conversation today. So without further ado, this gentleman here has successfully failed at two businesses uh, is a graduate in the engineering space and has is, is extremely passionate about building the future with these you know, mechanics and whatnot. He's a life student of Kaizen, and he's also the founder of Worldwide Engineering on Instagram, which is close to about 993,000 followers. Welcome to the New Gen Mindset podcast, Leon Aboud. Nick and Dan. Guys, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. Of course, bro. So, to start off the episode today, something that we always like to do, because I'm sure as you know, a story is always the best way to really connect people to the thesis or to the, the purpose of what it is we're trying to do. A good story matters all the time, no matter what segment, niche, or domain you're looking at. So the first thing we always like to do with our guests or, or those that we're collaborating with is to give a little story backline of themselves and how they got into the realm in which they're currently operating. So just you know, explain your story, explain your development and how you get to this point in time with worldwide engineering. Absolutely. I'd, I'd love to do that, guys. So uh, for those of you who don't know me listening to this podcast, I'm Leon Aboud. About uh, five years ago, I kind of immigrated from Lebanon moved to Montreal to pursue my engineering studies. And all my life, I grew up in Lebanon as a, as a child. And Montreal was always, has always been this, this dream destination of mine where I'm going to go pursue my studies, you know, this next phase of life where I'm going to be able to embark on a new journey, surround myself with a, with a, in a big city or with big ideas. And that's exactly what happened at the age of 18. That was back in 2015, already six years. I can't believe it. And I moved to Montreal and I think that was by far the best decision I have ever done in my life. You know, moving there really got, uh, gave me the opportunity to immerse myself around new people, around new ideas. For the first time ever, I was living by myself, you know, and it really gave me the ability to develop my character, to develop and understand what are some of the things that I'm passionate about. You know, and one of the things that really came out is that I really do have a passion for understanding the way the world's evolving, you know, moving from a country that's like a developing country with like, you know, it's a beautiful country, but with its own issues to another countries, it's completely different, surrounded completely different people really got, uh, made me realize how much opportunities exist in the world. And that kind of led into um, me starting Worldwide Engineering, which is started as a hobby where I would just share the things, uh, like I was saying that, you know. It came like an online journal type thing, right? Exactly. It was just a space where I would share some of the cool things I would find online. You know, I would, whatever I would read on the internet, I would repackage it and post it on the, on Worldwide Engineering on Instagram. And I think with time, people started 
gathering around that vision, which is understanding the way technology is shaping the 21st century. And five years later, actually three years later, because I started it in December 2017, uh, we almost have like a million community members and it's been a beautiful journey. You know, I've gotten the chance to speak with, you know, leading experts in the field. I got to speak with like future astronauts, with, uh, you know, world-class level psychologists, engineers, you know, our content has been featured in London Times, uh, Hong Kong Times, you know, a lot of large media outlets. And it's just been a beautiful journey. And it's just getting started, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, the trend, technological trends are only really starting. At the end of the day, you can only really say in the time span of all of our humanity, we've only really had like crazy technology over the last 20 years. So, you know, it's, if, you look on a, if you look on a graph, you, you could say it's just the starting point of an exponential curve. It, we're just about to start skyrocketing. That's the thing. Yeah. It's like we're, we're entering the phase of exponential technologies. Exactly. You know, what we're living through right now, the, the definition is exponential technologies. And that's something we can kind of talk about a bit uh, later on. Of course. I've, so what's interesting for you, Leon, is like you really took something that you were passionate about. Right. And then you just started posting it on Instagram or, you know, various social medias. Um, and it kind of just took off. So I, I find that so fascinating is like you literally took what you were passionate about. And I think at this point, this is your business, right? Mm-hmm. So with what you've basically done over the last like four, four years, um, what's the biggest lesson you've taken away from this just as, you know, being a, an entrepreneur in this situation and building that following at the end of the day? That's a great question. And the thing that I really that 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 I really learned the hard way, well, which ties back to the to your introduction, is that learning what you want or actually achieving something in life is gonna take a lot of failures along the way. Man, I've failed so many things. I've embarked on so many projects which are like now like in the in the in the basement of my ideas and my and my you know my projects. And it's just where I am today is a result of all those small projects I've embarked on, which has, which have ultimately failed. Some have picked up and have, you know, it's like, how can I describe it? Building something, you know, cause uh, your audience are people that all want to build something in the future, either in the financial space or in the high technology space. And really it's a lot of trial and error. You know, like you said, I failed two businesses before, clicking with worldwide engineering and those were just feedback at the end of the day there's no such thing as failure it's only feedback over what is it that works and more importantly it's what is it that i am interested in you know because the two businesses i worked on you might think that they're about you know technology and tech startups but they actually weren't you know it was completely different and those are things that actually got me to learn about myself What's fascinating is if you look at, honestly, if you look at anything in life, no matter what people do, the, the, the scientific method, the way any technology or innovation is developed goes through a process of compounding failures because those failures tell you where to look or where the dark side is or where the problems exist because you can't optimize without ever understanding what the mistakes are. So at the end of the day, to get an optimal product or an optimal design or an optimal output, you have to go through a process of failure. Because without that failure, you'll never be able to optimize anything in this world, whether it's behavior, whether it's business, whether it's technology, economics, no matter what it is, there's a principle that must, there's a principle pattern that is applied to any behavior. 
I think it was Thomas Edison who said that. He said it beautifully. He said, I didn't fail a thousand light bulbs. I just found a thousand ways it didn't work. Exactly. It's all about you know? perspective at the end of the day. It is. And it creates it those, really those, those things really create opportunities. So like what, okay. So you've been doing this for a while. So before we go more into a little bit of some macro things in relation to money, like what are some of the cool ones that still stick to you to this day? And maybe we can play off of some of those, like over the last three years, what are some of the cool people you've met or some of the cool trends you really you've noticed have becoming to starting to pick up? That's super interesting. And that's super relevant right now is that there's something called, have you guys heard of the concept of black swans? Yeah, yeah of course. course. Yeah, there you go, Black Swans. And uh, it's what we've been living through in the last year is, I believe, the largest Black Swan we're going to live in our entire lifetime. You know, it's kind of scary to say that because whatever we're going to live from now on is never going to be as disruptive as what we're currently living through. So it was really fascinating to see how the world quickly transitioned uh, in the last year. You know, there's a lot of studies that I've been reading so I've been in the engineering and technology space, you know, creating content in the last three years. And a lot of the prediction that have been made since 2018, 2017, that were projected to happen like 2025, let's say, they happened in 2020 because the world just changed so quickly in the last year, you know? So for example, is one of the big ones. And that's actually something that I have my eyes on. And that's one of the things that I kind of understand the most because again, on record, I'm not, a, I'm not a professional at anything. Not to say that. I, 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 I don't necessarily have the technical knowledge to speak about, you know, the, 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 the specifics of the emerging technologies. Like how, how does 5G work? You know, what is the wavelengths of those things? But I do have an engineering background. And one thing I do understand is how technology is shaping the world. And to answer your question, uh, Nick, one of the things that I really have my eyes on is, and that's a problem that's being discussed politically, especially in the US, and that was something that was discussed in the 2020 elections, is how uh, artificial intelligence is going to be creating the, the, the world's largest movement of talent in the next decade. You know, as we said, there was a study yeah, there. Uh, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say AI is definitely a significant trend that you it 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 helps to optimize operations. It's something that you see every business really trying to crack down on. It's a huge focus on small cap space or for small little businesses. So AI is definitely a significant driver that can that is going to ripple into almost every niche of the world economy. So uh, definitely. It's going to be by far the most disruptive thing that's going to happen to humanity. And I think the problem with society is that we're very reactive. We're not yeah, proactive. Exactly. We're reactive in a way where all of a sudden we have a uh, hundred million jobs that are going to be automated in the next five years. You know, there's a study here. I pulled up some studies. So McKinsey expects that by 2030, 30% of jobs in the world will be replaced by automation in some sense. You know, 30%, you know, and there's a lot of projections like that. And that projection was made, that was made in 2018. And that's, that was only accelerated in 2020. Yeah. So what's in the context of ma macroeconomics and geopolitical, what's going to happen is a lot of people are going to find themselves automated out of their job. 
yep. they're not going to be able to um, to 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 quickly transition their career. And what's going to happen is we're going to have a big pool of people that are unemployable, not unemployed, but unemployable because they do not possess the skills anymore to move to positions that will allow them to actually function and be productive in society. Mm-hmm. You know. Which is deflationary is from a macro perspective. It's deflationary and implies that you can expect a lot of wealth to be lost, a lot of a lot of social economic suffering to occur because a lot of people won't be able to, and you're going to see, and that could drive a lot of, of uh, migration trends around the world to see wherever opportunity will exist. I'm going to have to move or focus on labor type of intensive jobs. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. That's 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 a very good point. And when you think about it, who is it? that will get impacted the most from this? Is it the, uh, I'd do you want to give it again? I, I think it's probably the older people, right? The people who have not been, you know, they've been adapting to a certain way and they don't want to change. I could be wrong though. That's, a, that's, that's one way of looking at it. But the way I was looking at it was more in terms of, in terms of uh, skill sets. So it's not the, the people that are specialized that, you know, it's not the computer engineer that graduated from McGill University that's going to be impacted by this. It's the person that dropped out of high school aged uh, 18 and is working at Tim Hortons and McDonald's. It is those people. It is the, the low, low skill, mm. low skilled um, people that are a lot of times living paycheck to paycheck and that are mm. making minimum wage, which represents a huge part of the population, by the way. Those are the people that are going to be automated out of the workspace. And we've seen this happen We've been seeing this happen in the last two years, especially in 2020. Go to PharmaPre right now. You're going to see, <laughs> go to PharmaPre, literally no, they have true. those automated check-ins. Yeah. You know, this is one small example. What's going to happen when self-driving cars will replace mm-hmm. Uber drivers and taxi driver? What's going to happen when drones are going to replace the, the, the FedEx delivery driver? You know, what's going to happen when... You won't need anymore. Let's say you you need to hire someone, a videographer, or someone to to edit your video, and all of a sudden, your computer possesses the artificial intelligence yeah, to, exactly. to to cut down the editing time by two. You know, all those are things that movies, that are, even movies to add on that. Like they have, like yeah. for example, the movie Gemini that we watched with Will Smith versus Will Smith. Yeah. The whole the whole filming industry could completely be shifted and say, well, we don't need any humans anymore. We have AI that can develop humans, and we we don't need any human anymore. We can just create movies and shows with no human cost anymore. They their their profit margins would exponentially grow, and uh, a lot less liabilities because you don't have to worry about humans anymore. And you're and that the amount of time you spent to making these movies won't take years it'll take a half a year now there you go yeah there you oh, go exactly I, trust me i see these trends everywhere too and it's <laughs> from from because at the end of the day what people don't realize is like the global economy is based on human dynamics mm-hmm. so when we start innovating in a way that directs that starts marginalizing the collective human dynamics you're putting humanity in a position where it needs to find a way to optimize itself and for me the only real way i see in terms of a trend where we're going towards that tech innovative less human capital necessary that then drives competition for the whoever's left over all the low skilled Mm -hmm. people or all the new students that's going to require a mass amount of competition because now they're going to competing for a smaller pool of type of jobs there's an issue in this equation for me. It's the educational mm-hmm. system. It's there not optimal. 
It's not optimal whatsoever. And it doesn't f- encourage competition. So like, I like the trend, <laughs> but from a human perspective, there's a, there's a gap missing and that's the educational component because mm. it, if that, if we could innovate and optimize our education, it would be more interesting. But like, there's a little bit of fear in the direction we're taking because our education is not there to support us with mm-hmm. that macro trend. A hundred percent. I absolutely agree with you. You know, there's this, there's this author, very well-known author called Yuval Noah Harari, and he has his book, Homo Deus, you know, one of my best reads, really inspired a lot of the work I'm doing. And he says that the number one skill in the 21st century will be, will be the ability to reinvent yourself every decade, mm-hmm. you know, very soon, you know, the, and that is something that is not taught, unfortunately, in the education system. And that brings back to the idea that we are reactive. And this is only something that we're going to fix yeah. once we start noticing that we have that, such a big pool of people that are not employable. Our economy is slowing down. Things are not looking well. But then how, how are you going to re-educate all those people? It's almost yeah. impossible. You know, how are you going to re-educate? So I really think there's going to have to be a massive shift in the education system in yeah. what we teach I think we're going to teach, we're going to start teaching less about hard skills. We're going to teach less how, how, you know, how do you, how do you do, you know, the, the, what's an example? Well, coding, like, for example, folks a lot more on coding and uh, coding, hardwiring. Uh, like at the end of the day, we, we, there's, there's the, the big component of the process in terms of allowing the development of technology efficiently is ensuring that we have the middlemen to allow that the allow the process to develop. So electrical engineers, all kinds of engineers, AI coders, um, there, there's a human component that won't be able to be replaced by any machine because especially from the foreshadowing component, that's heavily driven by humans. Mm-hmm. So if we want to be able to innovate in a very proactive manner, we're going to need that human intellectual component of foreshadowing trends and dynamics. A hundred percent. And I think soft skills is something that we're also going to have to start training, start training people about the ability to learn, because as we said, the number one skill will be the ability to reinvent yourself, to learn and acquire new skills. And this is something the education does not teach at all because it is hard to quantify. It's hard to grade you on your ability to learn new things. You know, it's much easier to grade you on what you've already learned. You know, here's a textbook memorize this and then we're going to grade everyone around the same basis and there you go very easy to quantify and it works it works it's efficient i guess it worked for the last 200 years yeah exactly it's an outdated principle it's an outdated principle which was established by the way uh during the industrial revolution if you don't know it's super interesting because the education system was developed to uh, fulfill the need of having skilled labor during Mm -hmm. the industrial revolution it served the purpose and that's why they grade people like they grade manufacturing parts because when you have a part a part of an aircraft coming out of a of a supply chain how do you grade its quality you grade it with an abc grade that's what we're doing with people people are leaving the academic system with an abc grade so the same thing is happening I think it's also important to point out too, that like it's created this psychology, psychological challenge for a lot of people. Now, um, most people that go into university 
you know, they leave under the assumption that because you did really well, you got straight A's and you never failed, then you're going to be successful. And it's created this sort of like false premises that, you know, going into the workforce and being like, you know, a person in a specific work, uh, you know, position, and then not knowing within the next 10, maybe 15 years that you're actually mm -hmm. replaceable. That's the sad part I find. And one of the things that I always tell, you know, I get students messaging me from like, you know, Concordia McGill, they're always just like, well, what do you think about this? I'm like, the number one skill that I think everybody should learn is how to interact with people, mm, right? right? If you don't have that, you know, find a position, like anything related to marketing, social media, mm -hmm. that's a human interaction situation. Anything related, like I'm, I'm, I'm in sales and I, I, I call people, there's a relationship yeah. component, right? They don't teach that in school. There's no, there was no personal selling classes in school from a business side. And that probably is the most important soft skill moving forward. Now we're talking about the fact that the school system is still in the industrial revolution, right? <laughs> so wh what do we got to do to make that shift into like, how do we prep the next generation to become ready for that workforce? Because I totally agree with you. The, you know, you go to Farmapri. There's automated shoppers. I don't even go to the, the cashier anymore. I use yeah, the shopper because right. I know how to use it, right? It's and I'm so just, inefficient going to the person. It's, it, people are inefficient. <laughs> and it's and we don't mean that to be like, you know, cynical, but it's just the reality yeah. of the situation. It's, 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 it's a lot driven by their reactive nature of humans. So, so, right? so yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I guess like from, from you being an engineer, like how do we shift that? How do we make that shift to get people to realize, okay, there's a massive shift happening right now with, you know, low skilled jobs. Like how do we make that transition? What do you think? That's a really good question. And uh, I think that's a billion dollar question. Whoever, whoever is able to figure this out is really, like, automatically a billionaire. But I think that number one, you're going to have to start teaching people about soft skills. And number two, which is kind of something I, I, I talked about on Worldwide Engineering, which received a mixture of, of controversy and, and uh, confusion, which is that I proposed that people, that we should start teaching about the future. Of course. What do I mean by this? So why, my, my, my theory was, my idea was, why do we spend so many hours per week learning about history and geography? Which is very important, by the way. History predicts the future. It's the but contextual, we, yeah. Exactly. But then why do we spend no hours? Why isn't there a course in university called the future of humanity, for example, where we learn, we sit down and we learn how emerging technologies are going to be reshaping the 21st century. And that's going to contextualize people because a lot of people think when they go through their academic journey, they think that whatever the world looks like today, today, sorry, that's what it's going to look like in the next 10, 20 years. That's why a lot of people end up majoring in programs that are literally going to be automated out of existence in the next 10 years. Yeah. You know, so I think uh, that's the second thing that's, that would be really important is really starting to just in a way you're understand how, what the future is looking like for humanity. It's hard to predict the future. And that's where people started getting a bit like controversial, like, yeah. Like you can't predict the future. Every prediction that was made was wrong. It's not about predicting, but it's about mm -hmm. projecting. You know, you project forward. It's the same principle. And when we invest, when me and Dan invest yeah. and we talk about dynamics, is the principle of speculation is take what you understand now, 
take what you understand of the past, contextualize it, process it, and then foreshadow, speculate, and try to play out the game in your head and see which trends will play out more favorably, which variables on a macro geopolitical or economic a perspective, which ones come out of front, which come out of back, and you play off of the dynamics. You don't have to be right, but the very fact yeah. that you're able to understand the dynamics of those speculative variables makes you more proactive. As we said before, we don't want to be reactive, uh, reactive anymore. We need to be proactive. But the only way to do that is by aligning ourselves with speculative nature, because then we can foreshadow mistakes that come up. We knew that might have happened if this was to occur. We're ready for that. We're ready for this. So it, it, it falls heavily into line with your thesis of we need to stop being reactive and we have to be proactive and the educational system absolutely in its very core principle must respect that it's like nature it's like physics it's yeah. you know it's if you're always if you're always waiting for the day-to-day -day, like if you're day-to-day -day in everything you do you can never plan for tomorrow because you're not taking the time to think about tomorrow but that also ties back to the idea that to achieve that we also need to change how humans work because fundamentally, we humans are reactive people. Exactly. We're, we're, we are reactive species. That's how we learn. You know, it's when you put your hand on the stove and you get burned. That's how you're like, oh, that's, I'm not doing that again. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> you see, that's why in marketing, for example, and uh, they, there's always, if you, if you go to Ikea or to Costco, and there's like pots that are literally being displayed on a table. And it says, literally, there's a, there's a big red sign that says, uh, do not touch hot. What, what are you going to do? You're going to go touch it. You know, and that's, it. that's a chick. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And they know, and they know that the company that does this high quality ceramic pan, they know that when you touch it, your chances of buying this item will increase by 30% according to data. It's the tactile. It's the mind. It's the mind <laughs> connecting to the sensation of reality. And that's why sometimes when we're too much, if we're too much in our heads without real experience, there's a disconnect. If we're too much based on sensation without the mind, there's also a disconnect. We need to find that middle ground. And that middle ground allows us to be flexible and therefore more proactive as a species. That's how I see yeah. it. <laughs> I want to, I want to ask you a quick question with regards to sort of the mental, like who, who you've looked up to sort of in the engineering space. I mean, for, for most people, I think it's without a question, Elon Musk is like that one guy that everybody looks up to and says, how does this guy do what he does and is so successful at it? And I think it just comes down to his willingness to take big risks. And he's obviously at another wavelength in terms of intelligence, but um, is there somebody else out there that maybe most people don't really know right now in sort of the engineering space, infrastructure space, uh, science, even that you kind of looked up to and you're like, okay, I want to apply something that he learned, um, and apply it to what you're doing there at uh, worldwide engineering. That's a really good question. And I've never thought about it before. I think that, um, there's a few people, definitely Elon Musk. Elon Musk is more of a person that you look up to that you set as a reference and not really someone that you, it's not really someone that's on the internet creating content where he's educational about it. If that's your question in a way, um, I get most of my law knowledge about the topic of technology and innovation and emerging technology from books. So I like to read a lot of books 
I enjoy reading. And I think a lot of the concepts I've developed over the years were from the books I'm reading. You know, one of the books I'm currently reading, it's, uh, it's this book. It's The Future is Faster Than You Think. And it's a really good book. Like it's by Peter Diamantis and Stephen Kotler. Really good book. And it really talks about how uh, technologies are transforming the 21st century. So a lot of what I'm talking right now is inspired by concepts that I've learned from this book. You know, so it's a lot of that uh, one big person that I absolutely love. His way of looking at the future is Yuval Harari, which I absolutely recommend people to either listen to his interviews on YouTube or read his books. I think those two things, those two people, uh, Peter Diamantis and uh, Yuval, would be enough to get kind of get into the space. But other than that, I'm mostly like to answer your question. Most of the people I consume, I look up to or consume their content are people in the business space. Because at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a business owner and I'm a marketer. You know, I'm a marketer. So even though I appreciate technology, I'm by 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 trade, I'm a marketer. It's funny, Dan. At the beginning, before we started all this, we said, well, before we started the episode we were just talking about how time was moving so fast with yeah. what you just said. We were literally just saying that because from a financial perspective and macro perspective, like the world is on another level. You know, it's like every day there's something new every day. It's like from a macro and economic and financial perspective, like the last year and has been a crazy learning lesson every day. Something is going on. So, and we were just saying like, he was just saying before dad, he was going, I wish the world would just slow down a bit. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> if only. So, okay. So I'm going to give you five, five big like trends that are really big right now in the financial space. And I want to know All like right. where you're at, which are some of the ones that stand out to you and who are some of the people you've met and some of the trends. So we have AI, obviously mm -hmm. we have drones, we have EV, we have robotics and we have 5G, 6G. Those are like the right. big trends in the financial world, looking at it from an investment perspective in terms of innovation and tech. So where are you with those? Who are some of the people you've met? Some of the, the things you've seen or some of the cool ideas you're seeing out there with specifically any of those? That's a really good question. Um, so there's a few, actually, there's a few. So you hit me with five different points, which are all massive. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think the, the two that pop up that pop first in my mind, if we want to look at this in, in, uh, in a time frame, so what, are, what is going to be the sequence of events that's going to happen? I think 5G is going to be first, then we're going to have self-driving cars, mm -hmm. um, and then we're going to have drones. And robotics, it's kind of here, and it's, but it's, it's evolving, and robotics is very tied to AI. So it's like improvements in AI will improve the uh, robotics and vice versa. And what's interesting is that a lot of those trends, although separate, are very interconnected. And that's what's interesting about the world we live in right now is that, and that's what's creating what's called exponential technologies, which, which, we've, which we've mentioned earlier. It's that you get, you get an exponential technology when you have two technologies that were previously separate. So before robotics was like robotics, and then you have AI, which was AI. But then when you start merging the two, that's when you get an exponential technology. When you, when you merge battery technology with uh, self-driving technology, that's where you get self-driving cars. 
you know, literally a Tesla is a, is a, it's a, it's a driving cell phone. It's a, it's a driving computer. It has what's special about the Tesla is it's software. It's not really, it's hardware. It's not the body. It's not the, the battery is cool, but you know, you drive a Tesla for its self-driving functionalities and all those things. So I really, and I think 5G, why did I put 5G first? It's that because 5G is going to enable self-driving cars to reach the level we want it to. So level five self-driving cars, which is fully autonomous, is only going to be possible when you have super fast 5G technology. That makes sense. And, and the world is catching up, by the way. 5G was very accelerated in 2020. Mm. I'm currently in Dubai right now. And in Dubai, the adoption of 5G is insane. Like it's, there's 5G towers everywhere. You have like, you can open up your phone right now and you connect to 5G. It's like, it's like, like, like in Montreal, 5G is still experimental. It does not exist for the consumer. It's probably for like Bell and those companies are testing out different things. But in, in, in Dubai, it's already established. And one of the reasons is that because China is leading the, the 5G revolution, they're pushing it hard. And I do believe that it's Huawei that installed the 5G network here in Dubai. And the West is kind of late on that because of the trade war that's happening between China. So, so they're developing their own. I know Nokia and Sony Ericsson, all those companies are developing their own 5G infrastructure. I think what's happening too is um, there's also sort of the geopolitical sphere of the 5G stuff. Yeah. Um, Huawei, for example, is from a geopolitical side as being seen as a threat by the West, right? So uh, because it is a Chinese company, because it's the threat of like, you know, the fact that the Chinese Communist Party has, you know, their, their skin in the game with Huawei. That might be one of the reasons why it's a little bit slower on this side. We'll have to see what happens. But um, with 5G moving into 6G, I think that's really going to be the, like you said, the base accelerator of all these trends that are coming up. Okay. Um, where do you think this is going to fit into energy? Because the most common form of energy right now that I think most of the world is using, right, is centered around natural gas, a little bit of oil. There's a bit of solar. More solar has been growing tremendously. Um, I don't think wind energy is as efficient as people think it's supposed to be because of, mm. you know, what we saw in Texas a couple of weeks ago uh, with the snowstorm, the entire electrical mm. grid went down. Um, but there's this topic and I've been talking to a lot of investors and traders and even engineers, and they all think that, you know, uranium is actually that one source of energy. Mm. Although yes, there's radioactivity involved, the waste, you gotta, you gotta submerge it, you know, 200 feet below sea level or in a pool. So it kind of just disintegrates, but I'm just curious to know, like, where do you think sort of uranium or any other energy source is going to help complement sort of this next growth, uh, into 5g, 6g and all the trends that Nick was talking about. Yeah, that's actually something I've had the opportunity to chat about quite a bit on the Worldwide Engineering Podcast. Um, I think moving forward, what we're going to start seeing is we're not going to have the future won't be one source of energy. It's actually going to be multiple sources of energy. So the future is looks like more in one area you have one one small village is powered by sun one medium sized city is powered by wind and one mega city like tokyo and new york 
those are going to be powered by nuclear you know and that's kind of a mental shift that's going to happen because we're so used to having all our power coming from one big uh, reactor uh, or power plant in the city and we don't really think where our energy is coming from but most of our energy right now it comes from um, from fossil fuel basically and to answer your question like when do i see this transition happen capitalism kind of runs the world you know um, money runs the world and we're only going to start seeing rapid transition when the cost of having a nuclear power plant in new york city will be cheaper than actually having a coal power plant also in the city. And that plays, there's a lot of things that play into that, like the subsidies that come from the government, as well as the the, the, the consumer behavior, because we know that consumers right now, they're shifting towards brands that are more eco-friendly, you know? So we're seeing this happen quickly. And by the way, wind is pretty good. Wind is uh, is one of those areas that I actually really have my eyes on. And I do think wind has the most potential in the short term right now. So wind is probably the best way. I think the UK is powered, like has a huge part of its energy comes from wind energy. While coming, while flying from Montreal to Dubai about a month and a half ago, I was flying through the UK. So the, uh, the, the through the UK basically. And what you see, and that was really impressive. Next to the coast, I looked down uh, from my window and I see a massive farm of soul of wind turbines on the ocean so offshore wind turbines yeah. i was like wow this is massive you know so i think on the short term wind um is kind of the winner a few months ago warren buffett invested a few billion dollars in wind and we all know warren buffett he doesn't do that because it makes his heart feel good or you know he's because he's altruistic no he does that because it makes his wallet feel good you know warren buffett is an investor first of all and which is awesome because, you know, capitalism runs the world. And I think capitalism is what's going to allow uh, renewable energy to get to where it is right now. That's why people are buying Teslas. That's why all those things. I mean, the, the, the concern, though, too, is kind of just the entire world. Um, and this is just a narrative, too, that's being pushed by a certain group of people that the world is going to end in like, you know, nine years or 10 years, whatever it is, um, which I, I totally just think it's, it's not true. Um, will we see aliens in a few years? Maybe, I don't know. But um, what's happening now is like you had said, there's this, you, you've got to reeducate people on the right stuff because that I feel like is where it's lacking in a sense of, you know, yeah, okay, you know, nuclear is bad or wind is good. And it's like all these stigmas that need to be removed, but it's being pushed by, let's say, you know, sp special interest groups and, and whatnot. So um, with that in mind, um, you know, with your platform that you have, because it's, it's an amazing platform, you've got an extensive reach, like wh what are you doing right now to kind of continue that education process and really try to see, okay, am I actually making a really big difference amongst my community members? I think I am because one of the things I have access to is data in a sense. I have access to a big pool of people that are interested in a certain topic, which is an engineering and technology. And whenever I post something, which in my head is pretty straightforward, like nuclear, like when I come up, when I make a post about an announcement that France is building a new nuclear power plant, 
all of a sudden in the in the in the comment section you see people with different opinions which is awesome because that creates beautiful debate but you see people on the side that nuclear is, is bad you know you, you actually want a nuclear reactor in your city what if it becomes target of terrorism you know for example so i think what my goal with my platform is is really trying to cut down the noise and really help people understand the facts basically and that's why i always try to bring on experts and different in special and specific fields to talk about specific topics because for every technology even the good ones that we talk about let's say electric vehicles there's also a flip side that's less good which is how do you recycle the batteries where does the energy come from so there's always there's always something on the other side and the good thing for us engineers and entrepreneurs is that it is by understanding the other side of the equation that we see opportunities you know it's by understanding that there's a problem with let's say battery technology that's where it, you can come up with a with a business idea where you develop uh, an innovative way of recycling um, battery technologies so i do think that i'm doing a pretty good job at creating clarity uh, in the world of technology. There's a lot of confusion out there. There's a lot of misinformation. I think there's, the, it's just, there's just so much happening at the same time and there's so much data and it's all about trying to find the signal, not the noise. You yeah. see what I mean? The processing, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a human brain, the, the prefrontal cortex. It's that job, it's th that part of the brain's job to process the data you receive or the feedback. Yeah. And if it can't contextualize it, if you can't process it, or if it gets overloaded with too much data, it gets it starts bouncing around. And then you can tell in people's behavior or whatever, or the business or the or the, the the purpose of the of the engineer becomes chaotic and it doesn't yield anything because there's there's no streamline. And like you said, with your network or what you're trying to do with our network is you're trying to, we're trying to streamline purpose and education. So people know how to have a discussion, whether it's good or bad, but to have an open conversation about topics, regardless of which side of the right. coin you're on. Because if you don't have the conversation, then you're never going to be able to do good. You'll never be able to fit or be proactive to the problems that occur with our choices. So we can't, and a lot of people reactive. are freed. Exactly. You know, and if I, too many people are freed to talk about the negatives, yes, everything's going to have a negative, but if you don't talk about it or you try to shun it or shame people for pursuing something that might have negatives, we're never going to be able to innovate nothing because at the end of the day, everything has a dark side. It's a matter of how we proactively engage with that dark side to make sure we minimize that risk, which is like portfolio management and investing. You know, it's the same concept. It's, the, it's actually in the dark side of things that you get opportunities. You know, it's in the dark side of things where startups are created. It's in the dark side of things where billionaires are made, basically. The failures, you know? the struggles, it's evolution. Evolution, you can't thrive 100%. without that struggle because you don't know how to optimize your genetic pool or you don't know what to look for. Hmm. At the end of the day, every living organism has the same concept. You know, it goes through that same. Humans, we've taken hundreds of thousands of years to get here. Our civilization is 6,000 years and our civilization is still learning. It's like, if you look at it, not a single civilization on earth has ever withstood time. They've always fallen. Look at where China is now, basically the new king of the global economy. It's like North America has officially lost its throne. There's a first for everything always. And it's those who forget to keep pushing forward that seem to always fall on themselves.
because they become mm -hmm. reactive because of the comfort of those before who were more proactive. It's crazy when you start looking at the world from all these different angles, man. You know, I, I really do think that the, the world's first trillionaire is going to be made in global and climate change. You know, it's whoever is able to find a solution to that global problem we're going to be facing this century. That's where we're going to have the world's first trillionaire. It's crazy. You know, we There's got, a guy. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, we got like Bill Gates and, and Jeff Bezos and all those guys that became billionaires of the Internet. We're going to have a new generation of people that are going to become even wealthier of climate change, of uh, artificial intelligence. So it's really like to, to, to make this more in, the, in a business contextual side of things. If you want to come up with an idea, don't look at what's right now happening, but look at what are the problems the world is going to be facing. And just with that question, I can name like 100 problems the world is going to be facing in the next 100 years. And you can literally come up with like one idea for each and one of each and every one of those to create a solution, basically. So, so off the top of your head, now that we're on the topic of you know future world problems, what do you think? Yeah. What do you think the five, the top five right now are? I think even just for the next oh, for the next twenty to thirty years, even. Yeah, oh man, I love that question. So I would say one of the big ones is overpopulation. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily overpopulation where you have too many people, but the supply chain that comes with having that many people. Yeah. How are you going to feed so many people? How are you going to educate so many people? How are you going to transport so many people? How are you going to build the infrastructure, the sanitation, just to have that many people? So all those, each and every one of the things I just mentioned, there's a space for one billionaire to be created in those. Mm -hmm. The next one is um, space trash. So space, there, uh, it's pretty common fact that the orbit, uh, the Earth's orbit is filled with dead satellites and, mm -hmm. and small pieces of, of plastic that are literally deadly for, for satellites out there. So whoever is able to find a solution to that problem, because we still have not been able to find a solution to that problem. So that's a second problem. The third one is something we talked about earlier, which is the, the change of skill set that's going to happen in the next decade with automation of the workforce. The fourth one I would say is going to be in electric vehicles, more, more precisely how, what are we going to do with the battery process? So, so what do I mean by this? And this is the first time I developed this idea. So, so I'm going to do it as we go. The world is about to face a global shortage of lithium. That's what experts predict. And whoever is able to find an alternative to that or solution to that, that's an opportunity. And it's insane to think that we're building this huge demand for electric vehicles, but we're still heading into a shortage for that by the year 2035. So that's something to look at. And one of the solutions to that, if we're talking about this, is basically the recycling process of yeah. battery technology i have two yeah, there's using... two companies if you want like one of them is called american manganese so yeah. they've been working on that and it's called so the ticker's amy and then there's another company that's about to go public but they're called Lifecycle. so both these go, yeah. are focused on uh renew re recycling of batteries and they both have efficiencies of over 90 percent, and they can get things like lithium cobalt um 
uh, nickel. So, yeah. you know, and that, 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 that closes the loop cycle of our EV. So we can always recycle the old ones back into circulation. There you go. And if I was an investor, I would really invest in those companies because this is a problem that's not being talked about today, but I do think it's going to be a headline in the media in the next 10 years. And that's when the stock price is going to go up. That's when bubbles happen. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, the whole space from the macro perspective, the whole space has been doing pretty, like there's a huge kind of like bubblish sensation and sentiment in this current ecosystem like amy for a perfect example amy a year ago was 20 cents the current price this year went to a 280 so it, it did mm. almost a thousand four hundred percent increase in price mm. over a year you know so it's like people the, the the small cap space so the little retailers who are all like into looking up on the internet you know like people are starting to inform themselves you know so you're seeing that trend from the retail side starting to pick up yeah, what do you guys think, actually, because this is your expertise and you have knowledge about that. What are some good stocks to go into if you were going to thinking long term? What do you think are some of the companies that are really that you have your eyes on and a stock market perspective? So so we, we got to be careful here because we don't want to give you directly investment advice. But I think what <laughs> Nick is I think what Nick is talking about, though, is sort of just the macro trends of yeah. what, what what is happening. Right. So. When you have these companies that are, you know, mining or producing or exploring for these different types of minerals, there's such a huge gap in the understanding from a retail side. So what do I mean by, what do we mean by retail side? Well, it comes back to the, you know, the unsophisticated investor. And that's another thing too, that I think millennials have really like disrupted in that space, Mm -hmm. Um, you know. American manganese is one of those other ones, but there's so many out there right now that mm-hmm. I think from your side, and this is where your level of expertise comes in. Cause you have that engineering background is to figure out, okay, you know, going back to like that last point that you talked about, which was, you know, the battery makeup, right. With, with lithium yeah. potentially being a shortage, it's just like, okay, well, basic economics, if there's going to be a shortage in lithium, well, the price of lithium is probably going to go up tremendously. Um, same thing with copper right now. There's a yeah. shortage of copper. Copper is used in wind turbines. It's like the right. perfect, it, it needs to be in there. It's also a uh, neutralizer, right? It's a, it's a, it's a neutral uh, material. So it helps kind of stabilize any kind of some, you know, I'm not a scientist, but anything that's yeah. in the battery, right? So um, if you have that approach to investing, the opportunities will just come to you because then you'll just start looking at companies that have these resources or exploring for these resources. And then it's on you to kind of figure out, okay, maybe I'll just put a little bit of money in here see what happens. And, yeah. and to go like, from your perspective, what's great about the fact that you're a generalist from the engineering world is that, that the beauty of investing is, especially if you want, if you have time on your side and you want to be an early person in a certain trend. So you can take into account the framework of a contrarian. You don't want to be investing as this guy we met. Um, he's the CEO of Copper Bank, Johnny uh, Kovacevic. As he says, you don't want to be the investor investing on a topic on page one. You want to be the guy investing mm. on a topic on page 16. So okay. this way, when the trend does pick up, you're riding a beautiful wave to the top, a beautiful price inflation. So when you look at it from someone like you, for example, who's very much in the macro world of engineering and innovation and technology, what gives you an edge is that you can foreshadow trends 
far more easier than most people. Than so I can too, by the way. You probably yeah. can see trends a lot further than I can. Exactly. From, from a technological perspective, you know, so when you start understanding those macro trends and what's going to be the tailwinds pushing them forward, your yeah. ability to be efficient with the way you strategically allocate your capital is going to be at your advantage compared to others who are going to be very, very reactive. Oh, okay, finally, copper's picking up. But yeah, copper's yeah. been a big thing that's been like, for example, of electric, you can't really electrify the world without copper. That's right. a huge necessity. But this is something that's been talked about for three to four years. And it's taken this point for the market to finally realize this. But you, right. as someone who's very much more macro driven, you can see trends years in advance. So that's a key component to someone like you to becoming an investor. But then there's an issue that a lot of people don't realize is also is just because an idea or a trend is good does not necessarily mean that every single business out there that's public mm-hmm. is an investable thesis because it mm-hmm. might become overinflated in the price or you have terrible management or you have extremely high burn rate so you don't you don't see them for you don't foresee them sustaining their operations or they have to keep diluting their stock which destroys the value of you as an investor so mm-hmm. and then- there's a and then just to add to your point, and then you 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 can have occasional black swans. Of course, hundred you know, like percent. Who would have foreseen Zoom picking up? Like, where did Zoom come from? Mm-hmm. You know, that's exactly it. And that's why when you see those trends, you 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 be, you're quicker to pick up on them. Also, when you see those variables kick in, you know, like an engineer, you're going to see something. You see a, a, a slight little twist or a light, slight little variable that shifts the the process. But because you've already been able to foreshadow possible scenarios, you know how to quickly adapt to whatever you're thrown at. So you become much more flexible and proactive. As we always said, you know, that's something that we need to be focused on. (laughs) And the world of investing and engineering literally merges on those themes. I agree. I agree with you. Yeah. I want to just ask you one last question and then I feel like Nick will give you more investment advice online, but uh, we just, we just want to be cognizant of time here because I know it's getting late for you in Dubai, but um, you know, going, going, going into the next 10 years, like, what do you, what are you doing to kind of, you know, apart from, you know, worldwide engineering, but like, what, are there any projects that you're looking at right now that you think can have a dramatic effect on society in the next like two to three decades? A hundred percent, a million percent. I'm working on solving. That is my goal, my life mission for the next decade. Love that you said it's, that, by the way, life mission. Okay. <laughs> it's, Sorry. No worries. It's, it's, it's to really solve the, which I think is the world's largest issue. Uh, they're beyond more than the, the, the overpopulation and the global warming and all those. It's untapped human potential. You know, it's, at the end of the day, who drives change? It's humans. It's humans that come up with ideas. It's humans that drive uh, the changes in, in, in habits and consumers and, and that come up with inventions. The world runs on humans because it's a world, man-made world. We're, we're humans and we live in that world, basically. And that ties back to the, to the idea of education. My, my goal is to really create an education platform, in a sense, or basically disrupt the education system in a way where people are learning about the future as well as learning about the past. So my goal is really to introduce this approach of teaching the future as well as the past and how can people um, learn the skills that will allow them to adapt to it 
and take advantage of it because that is where opportunities lies. Opportunities lie in the future and not in the past. If you want to be a millionaire, go into a trend that's going to be here in 15 years and don't go invest into a coal power plant. Who, who just before we continue, like who's someone in history that you really looked up to? Like, for example, when you said the educational thing, one of my favorite people in history is Alexander the Great. So that, that he hugely inspires a lot of the way I go about thinking of the world, the way I go about looking at myself and how I engage with, you know, he, he, for example, he, he said he was more grateful for his teacher who was Aristotle than his own father, because his, because Aristotle taught him about life and taught him about how to play in the game of life more than his father ever did anything else. That's a good question, which I, I, hmm. I haven't thought about that in a sense. One big person um, that comes to mind, I would say, is Nikola Tesla. Okay. You know, a great visionary. Hasn't received the respect or the, <laughs> the, the attention he deserves, you know. And uh, if there's one person I've watched, like if there's one s- s- character that I've watched the most movies about, it's Nikola Tesla. And... Um, yeah, it's uh, he's a uh, he's he's a he's an important figure of history. The only way, the only reason we're able to have this conversation right now over the the internet is because of Nikola Tesla, in some very form true. of way. If you think about it, that is very true mm-hmm. because yeah. nobody nobody cognizant. I I find the generations now like everything's just handed to them. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. here's an iPhone to your kid. That's, that's they 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 don't yeah. understand that there were so many. <laughs> centuries of like you know fail i don't want to say failures but you know know, human development and human development that went through it it's just like man like that's that's perfectly said i think we would probably not be here without without nikola tesla that's very well said we're literally standing on the bones of our ancestors absolutely you know and and i say bones not shoulders because they've literally kind of sacrificed their life in a way to make the world a better place and someday 200 years from now people are going to say the same thing about us Mm-hmm. that's the hopefully the intent is that we do as a generation become more optimal more proactive because we do see like we see it all of us you know there's a lot of negative trends that are building and we hope you know like from a macro perspective you know the, the negatives seem to outweigh the positives in terms of development but if we can optimize our educational system to focus on streamlining the, the, the need for being proactive and intellectually innovating our minds and our behaviors, you know, we can offset those negative trends and we could be the, the, you know, 200 years saying that generation took the initiative to burden themselves with whatever the world was facing and they conquered it head on. I'm pretty optimistic. You know, it's easy to find people like Elon Musk or Jack Ma that are a bit uh, pessimistic in terms of the world the world is heading, the way the world is heading. But I think I'm on the optimism side, maybe because I'm still young and naive. Who knows? <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I do trust humans. I think humans are incredible. Mm-hmm. We're incredible, guys. Like we look at us, look at us, like look at what we've been able to accomplish as a species. We've yeah. literally learned how to live with each other we've learned how to work in a space we've built things that are absolutely unimaginable imagine like imagine a monkey looking at this vast network of humans the economy the stock market the 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 education system 
imagine looking at like the things we've built as human beings, the way we've learned to live each, with each other. We've we've survived through the world's deadliest plagues. We've been wars. through wars. We've yeah. gone through um, wars, basically, you know, <laughs> and we're going to face a lot of issues. I think there's a lot of threats to humanity that are, there's always threats, yeah. you know, and one day our threat is going to be our sun exploding and engulfing the earth. That's in a few billion years. It's just to say that threats are always going to be here. Exactly. And I think we humans are adaptation machines. Mm-hmm. We're going to be, we're going to adapt. It's a good way to end this. I mean, I hope the sun, <laughs> hopefully the sun doesn't explode tomorrow, but I think you, 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 you nailed it. You nailed it perfectly on Leon. It's, it's just that, you know, you just got to keep moving forward. Right. Yeah. You can't, you can't yeah. keep that in your mind. Like, Oh, the world's going to end. The world's going to end. Like keep, keep, <laughs> keep pushing the envelope, which I honestly like with your, with your content and with your page, I think you're really doing that. And, mm-hmm. um, Nick and I just want to say thanks so much yeah. for coming on, man. I know that it's, uh, it's getting late there in Dubai, but, um, when you're back in Montreal, we'd love to, we'd love to hit you up, maybe do another episode with you. Oh, I'd love that guys. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I honestly had a lot of fun. <laughs> cool. A lot of hard questions for you, which is good. That's what we I like loved to do it. Here. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you, man. Right. I hope to see you soon. Yeah, me too. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Ciao, guys.